This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Astronomy Cast, episode 234 from Monday, October 10th, 2011, Lunar Phases. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly backspace journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Hi, Pamela. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. So once again, we are recording this episode of Astronomy Cast as a Google Hangout. And so uh, all of the eight, uh, our eight closest friends who are listening to this episode, you can all wave. Keep your microphone silent. So if you want to participate with us, probably the best thing to do is to go onto Google Plus, uh, add me and or Pamela to your circle, and then you'll get the notifications on when we do them. Right now, they're completely random, and I apologize for that, but that's just sort of our schedule. So it's sort of like if you happen to notice that we do the recording and it fills up fast, and I apologize for that. And so if anyone from Google is listening, uh, let us get onto the Google Hangouts on air. That would be awesome. And then we can broadcast it to a larger audience. So now, did you have yeah. any more, anything else to, to update this week? Um, no, I have absolutely nothing. It's boring. You're plugless? What? You? I, well, we need donations. We always need donations, but right. we, we have to restock our store. So going right. there, you can buy lanyards. But, right. you know, by the right. time people listen to this, we are going to be selling Surleys. So there may be Surly Amy's available okay. if you go check out astrogear.org. Right. These are cool little uh, ceramic necklaces that have our uh, logo on them and other things. Okay, well, let's get rocking then. So the moon is a stark reminder that we actually live in a universe filled with stars and planets and moons. The changing phases of the moon show us the relative positions of the Earth, the sun, and the moon as they interact with one another. Let's learn about the different phases, the geometry of the whole system, and some of the interesting science wrapped up with our fascination of our only natural satellite. Did you like that? Wasn't that a nice intro? You're, 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 you're getting good. <laughs> so I think that, you know, but I mean, I, when I look out and I see the moon and I see the phases, it's quite, for me, that's the reminder that we live in the universe and that we, and that we have this ball of rock orbiting around the, around the earth. So how did the early astronomers and philosophers and stuff try to come to grips with what they were seeing in orbiting the planet? Well, they... Or even orbiting the planet, I mean, just in the sky, right? Yeah, it, it was a god. It was not actually attributed as the source of the tides until remarkably recently. That's something that continues to confuse me, is how did Galileo not realize among everything else he realized that the moon was responsible for the tides but it, it was seen as a god for a while they realized that it was part of the solar system and along with the planets and the sun was originally put on an orbit going around and around the earth and it was a holy object and a celestial object but they didn't realize it was a rock until Galileo came along. And that was actually 
kind of a complete change in paradigm. Before that, Aristotelian philosophy had said that the moon was a perfect sphere. It wasn't a perfect color, but it was a perfect sphere. And when Galileo looked at it through a telescope, he realized there's mountains. They didn't have the concept of crater, but there were mountains. There was differences in coloration. He could see shadows. And that was when they finally realized 400 years ago, it's a rock. And since then, we've been trying to understand it from a geologic point of view, trying to understand it as another object a lot like the Earth in many ways. Right. And so when we see the moon, when we see the phases, when we describe it as phases, what are we really seeing? We're just seeing differences in geometry, basically, between us, the sun, and the moon. As the moon goes round and around the Earth, you can imagine there's this line connecting the center of the Earth and the center of the sun. And when the moon is on that line between us and the sun, all of the sun's light hits a side of the moon we can't see. Now, most of the time, the moon isn't actually on that line in particular. It's above or below the line such that it doesn't come between us and the sun. The, the moon's orbit is tilted relative to the Earth, and this is a good thing. Otherwise, we'd have monthly lunar eclipses, and that would just get a little unexciting after a while. Right. And I think, you know, a way to do this, right, of course, is to go into like a really dark room, you know, with a tennis ball and yeah. and hold and then turn a really bright light on or a flashlight on from you know one source and then hold the tennis ball at arm's length your head is the earth and you know and that's what we see and then that and if you put the tennis ball right in between us and the you know you and the flashlight you can't see the illuminated side of the moon right and that's the and that's the new moon now you could still have the 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 tennis ball a little above or below the flashlight itself so you can still actually see the flashlight but you're not going to be able to see the 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 lit side of the of the tennis ball and that's the and that's the new moon and the way it works is it's actually a couple days orbit to either side of the new moon before we can start to clearly make out the crescent moon and exactly how long depends on how good your eyes are and holidays like ramadan are actually tied to when is it that you first see that crescent moon reappearing as the moon comes out and starts to show its illuminated side again. And, and I know for me in particular, my favorite views of the moon are these amazingly thin crescents that you can sometimes yeah. see in the twilight. And there's some really neat astrophotos that I've seen as well where photographers will catch the moon, you know, they're trying to break the record for the, the newest moon that they've been able to, to image, you know, and they'll try and image the moon hours or even minutes after it's passed through the new moon phase and try and get the littlest sliver of of sunlight right and and yeah it's it's really amazing particularly when you can start to get it close to planets and things like that there's been a few cases where you've had the moon right next to venus the moon right next to mercury in the in the sky and one of the things i love is watching how often people get the crescent moon completely wrong in artwork because you you need to think of the illuminated side of the moon as chasing the sun across the sky so as the moon gets closer and closer to the sun, you end up with a thinner crescent and it, it's curved so that the illuminated part is toward the sun and the non-illuminated part is away from the sun. And as the moon goes 
past the sun, it, it switches to keep the illuminated side always closer. Now, this has the effect that as the crescent moon gets low on the, the horizon following a sunset, so you have the sunset first and then the moon setting later, you should have basically horns poking up where the moon is doing an imitation of a longhorn for all UT alumni. And um, occasionally you'll see crescent moons drawn so that they're perpendicular to the horizon and that geometry just does not happen. That doesn't happen, right? Okay, so then let's imagine that, you know, we're going to sort of take one full circle, you know, again, go to your imaginary dark room with your tennis ball held at arm's length with your bright light on one wall that, and you're slowly turning with the, with the tennis ball at, at arm's length. And so you're seeing this thin sliver of light on the, on the edge of the, of the tennis ball. And as you turn, you're seeing that grow and grow and grow. Now, which way are you turning? So, so the way I always remember it is you take your right hand, put it over your heart and the directions of your finger, your fingertips, that's the direction that the moon orbits. So it's going from the right toward the left around your head. If the North pole is at the top of your head and the sun is in front of you. So I'm, so I'm turning left. Is that right? Yes. In the room. Okay. So I'm hand arm out tennis ball and I'm turning left. And so I'm seeing more and more light on the, on the, this tennis ball. I'm seeing this, this wrap around. And I guess that's the indication that should have been the indication that the moon is a sphere is that you're seeing this, this crescent shape wrap around this light on the, on the moon. That should have just been like, duh, everything's a sphere, even the earth. <laughs> And they're all orbiting well, one another and the sun's probably a ball and you know like like it's funny that yeah. that 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 didn't sink well, in the, the greeks were pretty good about understanding that the moon is a sphere it was the the everyday people of europe in the times of columbus that weren't so keen on the round planet thing going on so it's it's interesting how knowledge doesn't always filter through and um yeah. 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 So smart yeah. people did figure it out. It is a sphere based on the pattern of the shadows moving. And so now I've turned uh, 90 degrees. And so you can imagine now that before my arm was stretched out pointing towards that flashlight. Now I've turned left so that my sort of right shoulder is facing the light and I'm holding this this tennis ball um, out. And now I guess I'm going to see half the ball illuminated. You have a first quarter moon, and the first quarter moon actually can do some really neat tricks. It's a moon that you have a chance to see both during the day and during the night. It's one that rises at noon. It's high in the sky at 6 p.m., setting around midnight. This is a, a moon that people really like to have around for star parties, so a lot of groups will uh, schedule their star parties specifically for, for first quarters so they can show people those shadows that Galileo saw. Right. Of, of course. I mean, the, the best time to look at the moon with a telescope is this, this halfway point. You know, at a new moon, you can't see anything. At a full moon, everything washes out. But when you have this quarter moon, you have these nice long shadows across the surface of the moon and the craters are just highlighted and you can really see them. So a lot of the times when you have this full moon, people are like, oh, can we look at it with a telescope? But that's actually like the worst time. It's right. much better when it's this when it's this this quarter moon. 
Oh, and, and we actually got this, this, we actually did an article recently on, on Universe Today about this, how people were wondering, like, how can I see the moon and the sun at the same time? And, and this is, this is it. I mean, if you are near the equinox, you've got these sort of night and day having a roughly the same length of time. And so you can absolutely have both the sun and the moon in the sky at the same time. So it's, it's all, you know, it's all just, it's all geometry. Um, right. So, so now I'm holding the, my, this tennis ball and now I see it, uh, sort of half on. And so now I'm going to keep turning. And so now my back is to the light, my, I'm holding the tennis ball, but, but, but the tennis ball is not in my shadow. So I'm not actually blocking the light from the light to the ball. And so now I can see the full moon. And so I can see the, the, the whole tennis ball that I can see is completely illuminated by this, by this light. So you, you've now watched the moon do what's called wax. So wax on, wax off. The moon does that. You've right. seen the moon wax towards full. You now have a moon that if you end up with a full moon precisely at equinox, some really neat things can happen. So if you travel to the equator and it's one of those special equinox days, September, March, you can have the sun setting at 6 p.m. in the west at the exact same moment that that full moon is starting to peak, its, peak itself up above the horizon in the east. And this is a kind of magical thing to get to see. Even if you don't live on the equator, it, you still get to see the same effect. It's just not quite as dramatic when you're elsewhere on the planet. The full moon is the washed out, hard to see interesting features moon, but it's still pretty impressive when it's down low on the horizon. And this actually leads to the moon illusion. Right, right, right. The moon illusion. This is where people always think that the moon looks way bigger when it's close to the horizon. And so the, the moon is just rising. They're like, look how big the, the moon is. And it's, it's hilarious. If you, uh, if you go onto Twitter and you do a search for moon, around the you know the time of the full moon you will see tweet after tweet post after post people going why does the moon look so big look how big the moon looks <laughs> and i'm and i'm often you know I'll, I'll just jump in and just and and re reply to people i'm like it's not actually big it's just an illusion it's a trick of your brain and i'll, I'll link them to to various articles that are happening but the and and the way that you can test this out right is you hold your arms out at full at you know arm's length your nail on your pinky finger will cover up the moon uh perfectly and then try it again later when the moon is really high up in the sky and you'll see the same thing so you're clearly being tricked and what's kind of neat is if you have a telephoto camera, you can actually magnify this illusion, get so that there's some dramatic building off distant on the horizon with the moon rising right beside it. Well, the distance between you and the moon hasn't really changed, but the distance between you and that building has changed significantly enough that it appears really small. Now use that telephoto lens to zoom in on the building and the moon will appear as big as the building. And uh, this is just an effect of making the building the size of a fingernail so that it's the same size as the moon. It's a great way to make a dramatic photo. And I've seen some some great time-lapse photos that people have done where they they capture the moon every two minutes or so 
and you get just circle, 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 and you can see the, the, the transition of color as the moon is coming from the horizon up higher in the sky and it's getting through the atmosphere case and it's changing its color from this deep red to yellow to, to white, but the size is exactly the same. It doesn't change. And so right. you can really see clearly this is not this is not the case. The moon has not changed in size at all. But yet, if you go outside and you look at the moon, it will absolutely trick you every single time, and you and you fall for it too. Now, now we mentioned that back when the moon was a new moon, and now when the moon is a is a a full moon, that you know the the moon is not blocking our view of the sun even though the the moon and the sun are actually roughly the same size in the sky and and yet and the the shadow of the earth is not falling on the moon so why when you get these these this geometry why is this not happening why is the moon not blocking us every time and why is the moon not passing into our shadow every time so so we have this this double angle effect the earth is inclined relative to the sun and then the moon's orbit is inclined relative to the Earth. And this adds up to have the moon most of the time as, as much as more than 20 degrees above or below the, the center line that connects between the Earth and the sun. And this difference in angle is sufficient to keep that little tiny moon from blocking that little tiny sun in the sky. So the way to, to do this is to actually take a hula hoop and connect your tennis ball somehow, cut the hula hoop, oh. drill a hole through the tennis ball, and take that hula hoop and tilt it slightly. And the act of tilting it, you can now see where, where, what the orbit does, where that tennis ball is most of the time above the line or below the line, but twice each month, it cuts across the line. And we only end up with an eclipse at those two magical times. And it's not magical, it's physics, it's geometry. At those two times of the year when the full moon just happens to occur near the time when the moon is cutting across that line between the Earth and the Sun. Right. And we've mentioned before in our eclipses episode that, that they often go in pairs, that you'll get a solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse in you know, one after the other, because it's the moon is spending this time, you know, at the it's at the point of its orbit or the point of this inclination where it is actually passing through the shadow and then blocks the sun on the, you know, half a month later. Okay, so so we're at the point now where where we've got we've got our maximum brightness, the moon is washed out, we're not really seeing anything. And then we're we're turning, we're continuing to turn. So we're turning left some more before we were waxing. So now the amount of moon that we're seeing is starting to decrease again. So now we're waxing off or the correct term is waning. Or and waning. a lot of people mis will mispronounce it as wanning. So you can, wanning. you can so like you, I I'm better now. It, it's waning. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and that's all I'll say. So. Just, just you know, just to, just not to drag you through the mud, but this is you know, in a previous episode, that is what you said, and I yes. called you on it, and then we did a bunch of research, and I was right. And anyway, play. who's the astronomer now? Anyway, um, well, yeah, let's continue. This is what happens I know I'm the I'm the linguist. Books. books don't teach you how to yeah. pronounce things. Yeah, right. So the moon is waning, and it is. Uh, we are still turning left. The moon is waning the amount of light so now we're seeing this almost like a crescent of darkness starting to appear on the moon as it's getting less and less and and the the funny thing as well is you'll still get as i said i've been watching the twitters recently and people will still for probably about four days think that the moon looks full 
Right. So so as the moon orbits past the position of true full moon, it takes us a while to catch on to the fact that it's now what's called a gibbous moon. This is any time the moon is less than full, you can have a waxing gibbous, you can have a, a waning gibbous, and it wanes its way towards what's called third quarter. Right. So so I'm continuing to turn left, holding this tennis ball on the hula hoop at arm's length with its slight tilt. And now again, I'm seeing the moon half lit. The front part is lit from the from the light the back part of it is in shadow because i'm i'm seeing it from the side i'm seeing it half lit half in darkness and it is a waning quarter moon now it's a last quarter moon is that right last quarter third quarter this is when you see the moon in the morning and and i know one of the things that that stumped me is you're seeing half the moon and we call it a quarter moon. And yeah, that what's up with profoundly that? Profoundly disturbing. Well, it's because it's a three dimensional object. Yeah. And so we're seeing one quarter of a three dimensional sphere illuminated. So a full moon is a half moon. Right. We're seeing one quarter illuminated. We're not seeing the quarter that's also illuminated. We're seeing one quarter of it that's dark and we're not seeing the other quarter of it that's dark. Right. Right. Okay. So it's it's that silly geometry. Once again, if you want to learn geometry, the moon offers you everything you ever <laughs> didn't know you needed to know. And more, yeah. Um, right, okay. So you, you've got the... Uh, and then the moon continues on in its orbit day after day, and you get to the point where we approach it being a new moon again. Exactly. And, and the thing that is interesting about all of this is because the moon's orbit isn't completely circular, it's it's slightly elliptical. Its speed actually varies as it goes around. Sometimes it's moving a little bit faster. Sometimes it's moving a little bit slower. And this causes, since it's rotating about its axis at a constant rate, this causes sometimes it's rotation its little head of its movement around the planet. Sometimes it gets a little behind its movement around the planet. And this allows us to see a little bit more of the planet than we would get to see otherwise. And since its orbit is inclined up and down relative to the center line, we also get to see a little bit more in, in the in the north-south direction as well. So along the way, even though in general, the moon looks the same. If you take photo after photo after photo, what you realize through the passing nights is we're actually getting to see a little bit extra of the moon as we get to look over the top, look under the bottom, look around to the east, look around to the west. And all these different motions together get referred to as the lunar librations. And there is an astonishing astonishing video that that we were at. we actually posted on universe today and so nancy's going to be doing our show notes and she's going to know exactly the video that she uh, that she did where you see the moon move through all of these phases and it just looks it just looks amazing you can see the moon almost uh i can't even describe it i'm using my hands here but it just it looks like it's sort of <laughs> oscillating back and forth it's like it's it's wobbling back and forth over this over this period it's it's one of the coolest videos you will ever see so i highly recommend look for you know check our show notes or do a google search for uh lunar libration video and it's uh just astonishing the other thing that's really interesting to see is the fact that that the moon, as you said, it's on an elliptical orbit. And so the times that it's very close and the times that it's very far actually will get out of sync with the full moons and the new moons. And so you will have 
full moons that are super full. You have these super moons. As, and, and then other times you're going to have these, these times when the, even though it's a full moon, it's at the furthest point, the, uh, the apogee of its, of its orbit. And so it's, it looks a lot smaller and it can be significant to the moon when it's at the, the perigee and at full moon at the same time, it's actually quite bright. And, and this is where we end up with annular versus full solar eclipses is when you have the moon in the case of an eclipse, at new moon, when it's closest to the Earth, it, it's much bigger and it's able to block the sun for longer. Whereas when you have the moon at its greatest distance, when it's new moon and you have a solar eclipse, this is when the moon can't even fully block the sun and you end up with what's called an annular eclipse. So there's lots of different things to take into consideration. And um, one thing, though, that is a myth there, there are people who are actually concerned that when there's a full moon with the moon at its closest to the Earth, that this can actually have major geological effects on the planet Earth. And there are people out there who tried to blame the earthquake and tsunami in Japan on a supermoon that occurred a few days later. That's just not something you actually have to worry about. The, the right. difference between these two things in terms of percent change is sort of like if you're in California and you jump east, how much closer are you to New York City at that point? It's just not a lot to have to worry about. Yeah, yeah again, you, you feel more gravity from, you know, I don't know, a table in front of you than than the moon so um and the changes are not going to wrench the uh, the earth's surface apart and it doesn't matter what does it have to do with the phase of the moon the moon gets that close every month and so whether it's illuminated or not illuminated has no difference on the geologic impact on the earth so so get that out of your heads right um so w before we wrap this up I, there's just one thing that's kind of neat is that what we see playing out with the moon going around the earth we also see with venus going around the sun venus goes through phases too right and and so does mercury it's just a lot harder to to find mercury at least with a pair of binoculars it tends to get lost in the twilight sun so one of the ways that we were able to figure out that mercury and venus go around the sun and not around the earth is from the phases that we're able to see if Mercury and Venus weren't located where they are, we wouldn't be able to see them go through essentially a full set of phases. So what happens is as Venus gets ready to pass behind the sun, we can see an almost full, or if you can ignore the glare of the sun somehow, a full Venus. Now, as it comes back around towards us, it gets to a crescent phase before it passes above or below the sun. And we essentially have a new Venus phase if you could find it in the glare of the sun. Works best if you're in space and can block the sun without having the atmosphere get illuminated in the process. And it was Galileo that was able to see Venus go through this full set of phases. And there's something actually really awesome about seeing a crescent Venus. And you can really see the angular size, how much of your field of view and your eyepiece Venus takes up as it's closest to you for the crescent phase and then furthest away from you for the full phase. So you get to see this tall, skinny crescent Venus and the much smaller full Venus in the greater distance. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually brighter when it's in the crescent phase than it is when it's further away, right? Right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Pamela. So I hope you can all uh, do this experiment in the room, show your kids, 
really let it sink in and then never be confused by the phases of the moon again. That was awesome. Thanks. Sounds great. I'll talk to you later. This has been Astronomy Cast, a weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos. Show notes and transcripts for every episode are available on our website. Check it out at astronomycast.com. You can send us any comments, questions, or feedback to info at astronomycast.com. We read every email. The show is a nonprofit educational resource provided by Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. We're supported through the kind donations of listeners like you. If you enjoy Astronomy Cast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax deductible for U.S. taxpayers. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend it to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Music is provided by Travis Searle. The show was edited by Preston Gibson. Astronomy Cast is produced at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville with generous support from Universe Today.